0: Hello and welcome to Series 2 of my DIY Handbook. If you just discovered me in this podcast, welcome along. And if you've been rocking with us since Series 1, then welcome back. This podcast is for the creative, the freelancer, the entrepreneur, those who have ideas that they want to get off the ground. I'm a DJ, broadcaster and label owner, and I've been working in the music industry for over 10 years. And this podcast is all about me sharing what I've learned so far and continue to learn. So hopefully it will help and equip you for what may come on your journey to your dream career. In series two, we'll be exploring rejection, money, well-being, contracts, value and more. I'll be joined by a variety of guests who I admire, some who've been on a similar journey and some who are bona fide experts in those challenging areas. So I hope you enjoy our conversations and you can take away gems of advice and food for thought. If any of these episodes resonate with you, then feel free to get in touch, give us a follow on Instagram, DIY underscore handbook underscore, or follow me directly at Jams Supernova. All right, let's dive in. One of my absolute favourite sayings, and one that I live by, it should be a tattoo on my body, it really should, is reason, season, lifetime, and I tend to apply it to the people in my life. And nothing is more seasonal than the people that we work with. And whilst working relationships, they don't last forever. The intensity of them means it can be overwhelming when they end. So this episode is a vulnerable one about a professional breakup with my ex-manager, Helena, a music manager who works with producers and songwriters. And for a good chunk of my career, she was my manager. We talk about how it ended, why it ended and how we made it work for us. Helena, Antoniadis, I'm going to go formal for this part of the podcast. Um, welcome to my DIY handbook. Um, so I've got this really sort of candid conversation that I want to have with you. Um, and for context, you were my manager. We worked together amazingly for, I, I I always think of it as five years, but I think it would have been about four and a half. It felt like um, five years and it was very much like at the beginning Um of my journey sort of I had one foot in the door halfway there and you kind of swooped in and took me took me to a whole new place and we had a great time working together um but this podcast is about when relationships can come, come to an end because that is what happens um in any industry with anyone that you work with they'll, it's seasonal and there will be a time when it sort of comes to an end but um I mean, for you, sort of, I guess, give us the lowdown on when you walk into a room, how do you introduce yourself?
1: Uh, I would call myself a music manager. And I guess I'm here to um, give a voice to the acts that I look after and um, just amplify whatever they're about. Mm. So, I mean, I've worked in music for about 15 years. So I, I feel like now I'm a bit seasoned in a, a bit of everything. But um, yeah, I, I day to day, I'm a, a music manager. And I mean, that's 360, as you well know. Um, you know, it's everything from um, releasing records if you're an artist or, you know, doing DJ bookings if you're a DJ, like lots of strategy and planning and making like difficult decisions, I guess, kind of what you what you need to do to where you want to get to in kind of five years' time. I'm definitely somebody that tends to be in it for the long haul. So it's all about kind of like future planning and future-proofing yourself.
0: Yeah, definitely. And we met, um, so initially we met at the BBC, so we were both working at the BBC and you were a producer there and I was assistant producer at the time and I remember working um, with you. I always remember working with you. You were producing Trevor Nelson's Saturday Night Radio 1 show And I'd um, come into cover and I was working alongside you. And I remember it was Friday and you were like, you need to go home now. Actually, go and take yourself shopping down Oxford Street. And it was like 3pm and you were just letting me off like really early. And I was like, wow, she's so cool.
1: (laughs) I don't remember that. But I remember when I was doing that show, I'd just come back off a long bout of sick leave where I think I'd overworked and then caught a really bad virus and basically was in and out of work for nearly two years. So maybe I had like my renewed kind of mindset on about like a bit of balance but I also remember you just working really quickly I'd be like can you make notes on these tracks that are in the show and can you upload this and do that and you'd be like yes yeah, done what's next yeah <laughs> well to,
0: to, to a good quality though <laughs> I just want to put that out there I wasn't like whizzing through them just to just to get out quickly and go shopping on oh, you, Oxford you not everybody the else
1: that worked with me look bad so um ah. you deserved your shopping trip Thank like
0: you. The A plus student in me is reveling at that. <laughs> I'm like, yes, basking in the compliments. Um, and when we came to work together, sort of in a management capacity, um, you know, I, I love I love telling people this story because it was really kind of like um, it really sort of came together like sort of synchronicity. Um, so I had come out of a bad management deal which you'll hear about in this season um I come out of a deal um that wasn't that wasn't great for me and and had been young and naive and and, and signed when I probably shouldn't have signed um so I sort of took a year out to kind of work out like what I was going to do and I was kind of getting really sort of frustrated with um with with having lots of dates with managers and them not really it not really going anywhere so I go to have a meeting with someone and either you would really want to work with them or uh, or they would really want to work with you but it was never sort of both wanting to work together so I was just like this is just a waste of my time let me just focus on actually managing myself and doing what I need to do um, and then we have a mutual friend and basically she kind of like sort of match made us she had gone for dinner with you you had said to her that you want to get into management um, and she has said to you oh well Jams is looking for a manager so I remember I would put on this event, um, it was a, an event that I used to do called Flex for Women in Music and you, and you came in and you came downstairs and you were like oh yeah so I heard you're looking for a manager and I was like yeah well, I heard you're looking to to manage and you were like so well, wh- what are you trying to do and I was like well I'm trying to be the Black Alley Mac because that was my thing, that was my tagline then in, in, internally um, and you were like yeah okay, yeah I think we can make that happen, alright cool let's get a meeting in
1: <laughs> and that's how I remember it. Yeah I remember thinking like she knows what she wants and she's got like high ambition like I can work with that.
0: So I wanted to ask you do you remember because you know you've had like you said 15 years of working in the music industry. Do you remember your first ever professional breakup?
1: Um you know I guess I've always gone from like job to job to job so like I've always been in one job and then thought right I want to do that next and then branched out to it or just manoeuvred my way into something but I do remember when like a professional disappointment maybe when um so my old company MTA Records was basically coming to an end and it took me a little bit by surprise basically the it was a company run by Chaser Status who are amazing and they both kind of settled down and got married and started families and they weren't able to put the time that they used to put into the label and um we'd been working with Virgin Records and that had changed as well. And it would, it just seemed like that season in itself was wrapping itself up. Um, and so it was around the time we first started working together as well before I decided to go solo. But I think that was that was a time where I remember getting called into Soho House and like sat down for a chat where the guys basically said, you know, it's not viable for us to keep this going. And obviously we want to give 100%. And if we're not doing that, then we don't want to take this forward. And it just kind of... Um, yeah, just a bit, a bit shell-shocked and um, then almost like a bit panicked, like, oh, okay, so I didn't see this coming. What's my next move? And But I have to say, you know, in that particular instance, the guys were really gentlemanly about it and kind of gave us loads of notice and then took on all our legal fees for like our new management clients that we could take forward with us and kind of just handled it really correctly, I guess, if, if there is a good way to handle things. So um, that was the kind of silver lining to that cloud.
0: Yeah, I mean that that's quite rare rare to find, you know. And 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 then I must say as well. Um, and again, this is something that will probably come up late, later in the season about sort of working with chasing status. Was they were very because of how they'd been through the industry themselves. They were very much about protecting who was around them and 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 fairness. But was there kind of like a personal? You know, you'd worked at the company from the BBC, gone there. Discovered all these new skills. Start well, not even or sort of like you know transferred your skills across. Started learning new things. Kind of was really building something. Was there a personal side of you that was a bit heartbroken as well?
1: Um. Yeah, I guess a little bit because when I first joined the record label, it was like everything I wanted it to be and more. It was a really small dynamic team, but it had the the backing and the budgets available for the certain artists from a major. And we had like complete autonomy and like the whole company, the ethos was kind of taking risks and just doing new things and being innovative. And they really encouraged that. And coming from the BBC, where I'd been for 13 years in the end, and I'd had loads of great times there. And I finished there working as a producer on Trevor Nelson and Mr Jam, like you said earlier. Um, it's still very rigid. You know, there's a lot of procedures and a lot of red tape. So then moving from that, you know, you're one of 20,000 staff at the BBC into like a small agile company of like five or six people was amazing for me and for what I needed at the time. So um, yeah, well, I had kind of, when I first joined there, I didn't think I'd be moving anywhere for quite a long time because it was just a meeting of minds and like all our values were aligned and we had so much in common. And the music was great. The artists we were signing were were brilliant. Um, but you know what? Stuff happens you know and i think you can't take personally what other people decisions other people have made that are about them
0: yes yeah. you know
1: because it wasn't like they said well your work's not good enough or you didn't get enough top 10s or you know it wasn't a reflection on what me and the other people at the company had been doing it was actually about the guys themselves and them wanting to have a supported like nurtured network and them having to step away from that. So yeah, apart from the shock, it was um yeah, I just I I just kind of just took a day or two to kind of like reset and then go, right, okay, so what's my next move? And then try to shift yeah. my energy into that rather than sitting there. Kind of dwelling
0: about. on it. Yeah. But you do have to kind of, like you said, have that day or some, for some people, it, for you, it might be a day for some people. It might be a week for some people. It might be a month. I'm just going to feel really shit for a month, but you have to say to yourself, there's going to be a moment when you're going to be like, right. I've, I've, I've grieved. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me, let me move on. And, um, I, I remember one of my, my, one of my, I, I guess one of my prominent professional breakups sort of pre, pre everything. And that was actually, um, working on toddler show, so I was working on his show as a producer and I loved working on the show the producer you know probably would probably would have still been working on it to this day if I'd have had the the chance to because I just loved everything about it I loved the like you said the the freedom of it the risks that we could take we just sort of did whatever we wanted and he was always um just up for it up up for any idea you had so you really felt like you were creating something and um The show um, within the BBC went up for um, sort of pitching so any other company could pitch for the show. And the BBC wanted the show back because I was working for like a sub company that was making the show. So basically they technically took the show back and put a new team around it. And it kind of was like, yeah, so you've gone from having like a regular regular job to nothing. And it all happened with, and not only that you've had to fight for your job because you've gone through the pitch process and told them, all your ideas and why, you know, why you should get, why you should, you know, be able to continue to work on that show with with that company. And then it's kind of basically, yeah, like kind of the contracts come to an end basically and that's it. And I think I was, I was upset at kind of the way that it happened because I guess there's nothing, there was nothing more that we could have done. They wanted the show back. That was it. Um, And then I was also... It was sudden, there wasn't a sort of, uh, there wasn't that much of a, I think there maybe it was only a couple of weeks for it to happen. It wasn't like, oh, this is going to happen in three months or six months. It was like, literally, this is going to happen within three weeks. You've got three more shows to do. And then it was sort of like the aftermath. It's like you go from when you're producing somebody or working, and I'm sure this is the same for you when you're managing somebody. I guess a lot of your thoughts, your work thoughts are about them. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's like when you stop working with that somebody, it's like you kind of have to get out of the habit of thinking about, oh, that, oh yeah, that would be a good idea for, for them or what if we did this or, you know, like, or, I'm just going to message, you know. <laughs> you kind of have to, like, um, yeah, break up with someone sort of in your mind.
1: Yeah, and also I think, you know, we all work in different teams and with different people and different personalities and it can be rare where you get that really sweet spot with someone. Where you really get each other and the team's on mm-hmm. fire and like in radio they can change teams around quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think so when you when you're on a show that where you know you're killing it and you yeah. and the presenter get on really well, it's double heartbreaking when you're yeah. kind
0: of moved on. Yeah, it's like it's yeah, it's kind of gut-wrenching, especially when you feel like maybe because you know, we, I think when you also feel like your work your work's not done yet. And that's what I kind of felt. Like I I, I still had more in the tank because you can sometimes come to a natural end of a relationship where it's like well do you know what we've kind of run our course and you know we've done everything that we we set out to do but I I kind of did feel like it was it was cut short and I still had more things to to achieve within that show but um but I never you know I was I think at the time I was 20 24 and I remember my aunt saying to me you know um She was like, oh, are you still working on Toddler? I was like, no, I'm not working on the show anymore. And I think I was like, (laughs) you know, got a bit (laughs) upset about it. And she was like, it's okay. She was like, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve the loss of of working or something. And maybe I just never uh, had thought about work in such a personal way. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you know, when she was sort of kind of gave me permission to be sad about it. Cause I thought it's work, it's professional. Don't add no feelings into it. But I was feeling things. when mm-hmm. um, she kind of gave me the permission to. It did help me kind of then see the silver line in which was actually, you know, um, m- maybe there's other things I could be working on, or maybe there's other 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 shows I could go on, and then eventually I got my own show. So it was kind of it will happen for a reason. Um, but yeah, her giving me that permission to have professional and personal feelings around it. It's okay. And I think I kind of, I needed that at that time. Um, So that brings me on nicely to us then, Helena. So we have four, four and a half beautiful years. Yeah. Um And and then we had to end things. So I guess from this, is like almost like a therapy session. <laughs> so from, I, I, I woke up to an email one day and it was during the pandemic. So it was like, everything was kind of heightened. It was April, I think, end of April. Um We'd been a month in this weird, period of a pandemic and 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 you know everything sort of pulled from beneath us the life that we'd known um everything was suddenly on pause and yeah I got an email from you about kind of what you wanted to do next and that wasn't managing frontline artists and unfortunately you'd you'd have to let me go um what was it like for you coming to that decision and why was it important for you to make that decision
1: yeah well it wasn't an overnight decision I think it was something that even though I might have not have consciously been thinking about it for months, it was something that subconsciously had been growing on me for months because I didn't just part ways with you. I also parted Mm -hmm. ways with my ex. That was what I would call frontline, like a touring kind of busy kind of front and center act. And um, yeah, it was, it was really about me because obviously your career is on fire. And, you know, this year, I think I would probably say is your best year Yeah, and um so it wasn't an easy thing to walk away from but i think i had a lot going on internally and i had to start weighing up kind of how how i was feeling about my life at the time and my work life at the time and what where i wanted to go with things um and so i think you said that was about april i remember like the last quarter of the year before like the september october november time um touring with one of my other artists and just getting on loads of flights, but like loads of budget flights that leave at like weird hours and you're really uncomfortable and you're working across different time zones. And we've gone to the States and we've been in LA and then New York and traveling around. And although that stuff is super exciting, like we did a TV show, we did James Corden, late, late show. They're all first for me, you know, all you guys that I've been working with, we, you know, all be working together to build up from scratch. So it was a real feeling of achievement, achievement. But then at the same time, I was getting so burnt out because I think I had, oh, maybe I had like five people on my roster back then. And my company, it's, it's my own company now. It's so I have, It's and me. One, and I have a full-time yeah. assistant, um, but who is amazing too. But obviously my ex want access to me, you know? And so I felt really stretched. And um, like I say, I've been on tour. I've been away from home a lot. I've been just... Spreading myself too thin, I think, and and probably doing that for quite a long time actually. But I think it was only towards the end of that year it really started to dawn on me. I was just coming home from work every night, just to be honest, just feeling quite unhappy and empty, mm-hmm. but not really knowing why or not being able to put my finger on it. And um, and then that January, I went to Thailand on holiday, and I had time to just kind of sit on the beach and just like reflect on what I was doing. And if I'm right it was that was the year I turned 40 as well. And like when you're turning, you know, the same thing happened when I turned 30. It's like when you're counting down to that big birthday, you really start to overanalyse everything. Like what have I achieved? And where am I going? And another 10 years, I'll be 50. And how did that happen? And so it really was a point in my life where I was super reflective on everything. I think I'd subconsciously before lockdown made a decision that I need to make some changes. And I don't know if I can do these acts forever. Like, I thought when I started my management company and when we started working together, it would be forever, you know? And I just had to, like, give myself some real talk and basically go, like, this isn't sustainable for you. Like, you're not happy. Like, you're not fulfilled. It's, you're too busy to actually ever enjoy some of your success. Yeah. And I had to force myself to take a step back and and just, I don't know, just approach things more simply and calmly and just try and enjoy my life more. I've always found it hard to enjoy the wins. I don't know if that's just me or, you know, a a symptom of people that just like work really hard all the time and, you know, just want to achieve all the time.
0: Yeah. Cause I guess at the end of the day, you have to kind of decide, you know, what, what, what is it that you, what, what do you want to show for things? Is it, you know, is it the, you know there has to be something else that keeps you keeps you going and i think it it's it's always important to you know whether it's a milestone or a birthday or whether it's uh, you know um, <laughs> a pandemic or whether it's seasonal to check in with yourself and it's like well what's making me happy and like if everything was to end tomorrow would i feel fulfilled or would i you know how would i feel about it and i think i was quite naive in that i thought that i thought that we'd always work together forever I just thought, yeah, it works. We click. We get it. You know, we're getting things done. So, and I just thought that was kind of like, you know, I think of having had a bad experience before that, I think I was even more precious about like hold, holding on and wanting to work together forever. So, I think that from when I when I did sort of you know hear from you that that was your decision, I remember it, and I was just like instantly like, you know, like when your heart sinks, and I was like, oh my god, what. I don't understand. I don't. You know, like you know, like if it was a film, I, was like, I, I just don't understand. And I was read, I reread it again. I was like, I was like, Sam, Helen has left me. So that's what I said to my boyfriend. Um, and then he was like, Oh, you know, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I was like, No, it's over. It's all over. You know, really like high dramatics, EastEnders style. Um, but that was like my first sort of like initial um, reaction to it. And I think that was just sort of the emotional side because I was like, "But we talk every we talk every day." Like, was you know, kind of thinking about like what would change in in that sense. Not just to do with like the career side of it. I think I was kind of a lot more invested as well in the in the personal side of us working together. Um, But what I thought really kind of helped me during that period was one that life was slower, so I was able to actually like grieve, be sad. You know, feel all these emotions um, sort of around it, and then I was able to think to think about it, to actually have the space and time to think. Okay, what am I? What am I going to do next? Who should I be talking to? Am I ready to even talk to anyone? You know, is that something that I I should do? Um, and I worked with I always have worked with uh, or for the last couple of years. Sorry, I work with a life coach, so we meet sort of once a week or on, on Zoom once a week, and it's kind of like a form of therapy and I think we had a session that day anyway so I was able to kind of talk to her in this raw and emotional state and one of the things that I loved about what the work that we did over the next sort of uh, month was a lot of like reflecting when I think I first told her um, what had happened she was like okay cool well let's let's think about all the things that have been great about Helena like you know and we wrote out like all the things that that I'd loved about working with you and then that kind of made me feel a bit more like you know like in a in a kind of I don't know it kind of re- made me appreciate you and uh, you know appreciate the work that we'd done and feel good about what we actually feel good about what we'd achieved mm-hmm. and she was like okay so then we're going to think about those are the qualities that you want to take into your next um, situation so let's part of those Okay, so let's think about some of the stuff that maybe you didn't get to achieve with Helen or what are some of the things that you would have liked to have done? Okay, let's write them out. You know, let's think about those. And that was sort of the next week. So it's like every week we would we would sort of unbox something emotionally. And mm-hmm. then we would think about, okay, so what? All right, so you're looking for someone that maybe maybe the team's a little bit bigger. Maybe there's a bit more people, a bit more manpower. Okay, cool. So that kind of goes into what we're going to look for next. And I think just kind of having that space and time to really be reflective, really analyze, um, allowed me to get into the next situation in a healthier
1: way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess when you first get a manager, when you're a bit more emerging, you are you're looking for certain things, I guess. And it's just, you know, to get things off the ground. Whereas four or five years in, it's like you've, you really know what you want and what you need. And you're a different person. Like your your ambitions, I feel like tweaked slightly from, as you said earlier, wanting to be the Black Annie Mac to now you're part of a really like refined
0: music scene. Lady Giles Peterson now.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, and so that was, that was, I feel like even though you always knew where you wanted to go and you've always been hugely ambitious, I feel mm-hmm. like you fine-tuned that over the last couple of years to go, actually, I don't want to, end up on radio one I want to end up on six music yeah which is done you know and so every, everything changes everything changes mm-hmm. and I think it is actually like a really empowering moment to be able to put together a new team when you're this far in the, the threshold is high you know and you can be really direct and, and upfront about what you need and what you want and what you don't need because yeah. every act needs different things from their management team
0: yeah and that is kind of how I went into it and I had written out like a a Jam Supernova 2.0 of like, what do I want in the next five years? What do I really want? What do I want to achieve? And then I thought about, okay, what kind of company can help me get there? You know, what sort of expertise would they need to have? Uh, What would their roster need to look like? You know, I knew that I wanted people with the same work ethic as you. So I thought, okay, you know, I basically went for four versions of you basically a company that has four versions of you or the same similar sort of way that you work similar sort of way that you think similar sort of way that you um interact with your with your roster so I kind of wanted to keep to keep that but like have have multiple versions of you basically in all all different um departments so I mean from a manager's point of view um you know having a breakup with with any artist and, and especially maybe more so with um one of your artists that was of a, a singer songwriter, we have something in place called a sunset period, mm-hmm. and sunset periods are contractually. Uh, you actually, you go on. You, have, I'm not a lawyer, Helena. And you're better at this sort of I'm stuff not a than lawyer me. Either. <laughs> what,
1: what is a sunset period? Clause <laughs> is basically when after you start working with someone, there's a period of time that's mutually agreed whereby you can still commission on on money that they might earn from a particular revenue stream, and it's there because A manager gets paid commission, they don't get paid a retainer like you'd pay a press person or a radio plugger. So you get 20% of what comes in. But, you know, PRS might take a year to pay your act, what is due to them, or if it's
0: like... And that's the money that artists get paid when they get played.
1: Yeah, so like royalties might take a year or 18 months internationally to come in, or sometimes two years. You know, it's crazy when you see the breakdowns of of what comes in. And I guess it depends on what your act's main revenue streams are, because a sunset clause won't necessarily apply to everything, but it tends to apply to kind of any contracts and things you've put in place together while you've been together. Um, But it's really to understand, I guess, that the manager doesn't get paid up front. They get paid in lieu, so they invest their time and then they get paid at some point. And because of the way the music industry is run, you could get paid in three months or six months or two years or or more so it takes that into consideration and also I guess just making sure that all the effort that has been put in that you get to kind of eat from the fruits of that
0: yeah 100% and I think sometimes when you're the artist sometimes it could be or the or the or the frontline talent it can be very you, you, you can fall into a place of being ego driven well that was my idea and I set up that and you know, you can. It, I can see how it could be easy for people to be like, "Well, that was all me." Um, but a good example would be like, you know, we set up the label together, uh, the mm-hmm. Future Bounce as a label, um, and a lot of those early releases you worked on got off the ground, got into the system, did the legalities behind it. But that was work that was not making any money. Mm-hmm. At that, you weren't getting paid for those hours in the office. Yeah,
1: highly time-consuming, but no. No money. No
0: immediate payoff um, at all. So then now those tracks are making money, but we're no longer working together. The sunset period enables you to kind of get back some of that money versus for your time.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, It's basically understanding that we have no control over when that money comes in. But when it does come in, it goes to the people that put the work in to begin with. Yeah.
0: And I also think,
1: I guess I do think sometimes even though artists sign these sunset clauses I do think sometimes when they're put into place they can go into like a bit of shock and um, because I guess you just don't think about this stuff but then I do think you know with if you phone your lawyer they kind of start the clock and stop the clock you know and at the end of the month you might get an invoice saying you spoke to them for 15 minutes here and then they did an hour's work there and you know and it's the same with accountants and lots of different people and I do think if you Add up the amount of time a manager puts into an artist, like the weekend phone calls, the 10 p.m. WhatsApps, the you know, as well as the op, you know, the turning up to meetings, the pitching. The, if you put all of that time together and just charge like a monthly retainer, I do think that often that would add up to way more than a sunset clause would add up to. But I yeah. think just not thought about in that way, or maybe like appreciated in that way, because of The nature of a manager's job is just to like meet the needs and like Mm. see the problems and solve them, or even stop the problems getting to the artist, being the filter. So a lot, a lot of the time, I feel like the artist might not even necessarily know what you're doing for them all the time. Of course,
0: yeah, we've got blinkers on. I mean, for you, from a standpoint of all the work that you had done, I mean, how did you kind of like go into like unraveling us as a business?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, so I think our notice period was maybe three months, but I think we decided it would be four months because September seemed like a really good point for a changeover. Um, so we knew we had that to work to. And I guess for me, I made myself an internal promise that I'm, and while I'm the manager of this act, I'm given 150%. So until the 31st of August, I'm committed and I'm there and I'm still grinding and hustling. And yeah, then the did. Of September, I'm stepping away. And so... I think that was the first thing. It wasn't going to be like a shabby handover, or that you were like unmanaged for that interim period. It was always kind of full commitment all the way. Um, and I think, I think I said to you at the time, like, don't just take your time to think about what you want to do next because you're going to have no problem finding a new manager. In fact, people are going to think I've lost my mind. So, kind of taking time with stuff. And then, I mean, I guess on the business side in particular it's just about being really methodical about everything and kind of like going through things, tying up loose ends. And what I started to do quite early on was just to put together a handover for your new team because I wanted it for you. I wanted you to not notice the changeover. I wanted you to just get up, you know, for the first week with the new team. and First of September, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I remember kind of booking in a meeting with your new management and I think you were on the Zoom as well it was still lockdown time um and just I think it's like an hour call I just went through like everything in tons of detail to make sure it was in a good place and also kind of we handed over the business like the nuts and bolts and like the rules and you know and the figures and all that kind of stuff but then also on the call I gave like the real lowdown like you know here's who you really want to talk to at radio like if you want to get a meeting in or get something done and you know here's how that person can be a bit tricky so like try and handle them like this and just those kind of things you wouldn't put in writing, but, you know, like the more human side of things.
0: Yeah, and I liked that you were kind of like, and, and what Jams needs or what, you know, I feel like you were still kind of, there was still the care there, you know, of, of kind of handing it over, but like make sure you do a good job.
1: Yeah, always advocating for you, always. I feel like I still do. Um And then that. I think just the message you give people is really important. So I never wanted it to be like, oh, I'm just disappearing and, you know, it's there's no clarification about what's going on with jams. I remember like having phone calls with everybody to just kind of get ahead of the news and just make mm. sure it was put forward in just like a really positive light because I think sometimes, like, industry, music industry can lose confidence in things really quickly and so I wanted to make sure so nobody thought it was like shaky ground, but that it was just a step onto bigger things.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's such a rare, you know, we spoke about you know your relationship with, with with chasing status and how they handled things and it's such a rare find and the way that you handled things it, it is so rare to find and I was I was extremely lucky you know so lucky like you said I didn't even notice that the, the the you know first of September we went and 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 they had everything in place and a lot of that was the handholding that you had sort of done up until that point and all the information you know there was no there wasn't like oh well. Helena used to do it like this you know there wasn't there, there wasn't that um and I feel very grateful for that but I know that that's not everyone's um situation and part of this you know conversation is about how to end things amicably how to re- respect the team that's around you how to how to deal with your feelings but what advice then would you give when it's not plain sailing I mean let's say you're a you're a manager you're managing a team or you're managing an artist and you have come to the end and it's not pretty how do you then deal with it
1: I think it depends on what's actually gone on because Mm. it could be a number of things I think at the end of the day you need to protect yourself and you need to protect the artist and even if things have gone sour you've still got a duty of care towards that artist so you almost need to be looking out for them even if they don't know that you're looking out for them um, I think it depends on things like how long you've worked together, how many, like, invested interests you have together, kind of what the history is a little bit. I mean, I'm definitely somebody that I just think you should be honest, which was why when I came to the decision that I am I need to move away from the frontline artist management, I told you, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I understand it was a shock and painful, but I'm glad I was on. Like, the minute I knew I had to tap out, I told you. And so yeah. I think... Yeah, it can't, it might not always be like roses and there's personality clashes and stuff, but I would just say be honest, direct, and do it quickly. Like, don't put stuff off, don't procrastinate. Like, if you know something's wrong, just call it out. Like, it doesn't have to be some massive confrontation, you know. Like, pe- people are different, and sometimes people work together really well, and sometimes they realize that they don't work together really well, and it doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong, or vice versa. So, taking the ego out of it mm. as possible and just seeing it for what it is because I mean you said earlier it feels very personal and it does because what we do is 24 7 and it is all encompassing and we do give all of ourselves but you have to remember it is a business relationship you know you if you didn't never got paid to DJ you wouldn't be able to pay your mortgage and you'd have to find another job working as a teacher or something else and if I didn't get paid as a manager I wouldn't be able to do what I do every day so you you have to remember that I think at the end of the day despite all of the personal connections and how we give our lives to this industry it is a job and it is business and just try not to get the personal emotions and definitely not the ego caught up in things
0: yeah I think to sort of finalize um this conversation which I think you know at the end of the day there's always a silver lining. Things are always, I always believe everything happens for a reason. Um, and I feel like, you know, I'm so grateful for like the time that we had. And I think that I probably, you know, I, I kind of, I'm glad that we ended things how we did, the way we did. But I do think it opened up a new, a new, new just new new energy, new vibes, new knew knew everything and it kind of it forced me to reassess forced me to rethink about where I wanted to go and I think in doing so it's kind of why I had I had a really good a really good year last year because I was more set on what I was actually doing and what I actually wanted so what is the pros to change looking back in hindsight thinking about where you are now a year and a half on and thinking about the change and maybe for you the things that have opened up and the new doors you know looking back in hindsight, what has been a pro to to this breakup?
1: This breakup? Oh, that's so deep. (laughs) Um, I guess, as I said before, personally coming from a place where I was feeling quite unhappy, I guess I'm a lot happier. I'm a lot more settled. Um, Lockdown's obviously been really hard because it's changed so much stuff, but I feel like I do have the balance now that I wanted and I, I feel a bit more in the driver's seat, I guess, of my life because I felt like... For me, I was so deep in the management thing for so long. Obviously, I'm still a manager, but it feels like on slightly different terms now. That I felt like I'd lost myself. I've got better boundaries now, which is something I've been working on, which is just, I, I will always, I always just want to help people and just want to build and nurture and stuff like that. But I've realized sometimes it's to my own detriment. So I've definitely learned how to say no a bit better, still working on it. And yeah, just putting more time into my own kind of hopes and dreams, and getting some of that time back for myself.
0: Yeah. Oh, like I said, Helen, I think you're you are a rare find, and um I really enjoyed the the time that we had together. And I appreciate this conversation. I think it's really honest. It's raw. It's candid. And it's not often that you kind of get to hear it. You might hear it from me in the pub or Helena in the pub separately. But to hear it together, um, I think it kind of, you know, hopefully it gives um, anyone listening who who works closely with someone and something like this does happen, you know, it, it's OK. And you've got the tools in your box to, to get through it and still be friends on the other side, which I think is one of the most important things. Definitely. Yeah, we really laid it all bare, didn't we? We literally gave you the real tea. Um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. For me, what I loved about hearing it was actually some of the stuff that I hadn't actually discussed with her before we discussed on the podcast, but something that really shone through is that it's not personal. You know, she was sharing the things that she was going through at that time, which sometimes when you're in your own little bubble, you don't see what someone else is going through. And I definitely didn't see um, some of those things. And hearing about a situation that she went through when she had a professional breakup with uh, the likes of Chasing Status, what they were going through, it's never personal, it's always about the other person. But one thing there is, is there's always a silver lining. Thanks for being here for this episode of the DIY Handbook. I've been Jam Supernova. And if you like what you heard, then just let me know. Leave a review. Talk to me on socials. And please, please subscribe because there's more great information, stories and advice to come in future episodes.